0: Welcome to The Prevention Perspective, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about violence prevention work. The topics discussed in this podcast, including healthy relationships, prevention practices, and dating or sexual violence, can be difficult. And we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic dating or sexual violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Prevention Perspective. I am your host, Tracy DeMarcus, here in the studio with my lovely co-worker, um, Shannon Montano. I'm so excited to have you in studio with us today. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you, Tracy. I'm excited. This is my
1: first podcast here with the WCA, so I'm looking forward to chatting with you all and you all getting to know a little
0: bit about me. Yay. Um, so do you want to start with that? Do you just want to tell us a little bit about you and um, kind of how you found your way into this position at the WCA?
1: Yeah, totally. So I am originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico and moved up to Idaho in about 2012 and kind of worked around at different jobs and positions and then found myself kind of working in the youth sector. Um, coaching climbing and mentoring and things like that. And I wanted to expand on that in a way that felt very meaningful to myself and my community. And I happened to come upon the WCA, a good friend of mine mentioned this position she thought I would be good for. And I looked into it and immediately thought, I want that. So the (laughs) position is with the prevention program here at WCA. So we go into groups and schools, and we talk about how to have healthy relationships. So I think that is just such an important part of anyone's development. And of course, I just love to feel youthful, hang out with kids, <laughs> be, be like them as much as I can. So I thought it would be a good way to use my mentorship skills.
0: Cool. Um, Well, we're so excited to have you as a part of the WCA team um, and myself specifically on our prevention program. Um, But I'm curious to know if you have like uh, a why, why you took the job at WCA, why you decided to leave the kind of youth coaching world um, to come into more of a social um, service organization. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that is a great
1: question. I think about that a lot myself. So I don't know if I have an exact answer. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with wanting to leave something behind in my community that I know I can be proud of, and something that might change someone's perspective at some point. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot about what I want to accomplish what are goals of mine in life, which sounds very broad, so I think of it in ways some people want to be rich and famous is your very popular kind of mm. thing. Mine is if I can leave this world knowing that I have bettered someone's life, I would find that a huge accomplishment, so that is kind of a big part is of, of me going into work like this is how can I make better for someone even just one person hopefully many Mm -hmm. that would be ideal Mm -hmm. right but just one will be will be important so I think that's a big big goal of mine is enacting change on my community in a meaningful way even after I'm gone it'll
0: persist potentially definitely yeah so like leaving that legacy of positive influence in the community that's awesome Um, Well, I'm so excited to chat more with you. Um, We're going to take a really quick break and then come back and talk with Shannon about a couple of really important um, kind of months that we're observing right now. Um, Hispanic Heritage Month, um, which also can be known as Hispanic or Latinx Heritage Month um, and Domestic Violence Awareness Month starting in October. So we're going to start talking about um, kind of all of those intersections uh, in the next segment. So stick around.
1: October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and one way to support local survivors and help break the silence around domestic abuse in our community is by hosting a Clothesline Project display. The Clothesline Project highlights shirts painted by local domestic and sexual violence survivors and with their permission, these shirts are delivered to local businesses to raise awareness of the lasting impacts of domestic abuse. The WCA provides all necessary materials including outreach information packets related to the mission of the WCA. If you are interested in participating, please reach out to our Outreach Coordinator, Emily Damer, at outreach at wcaboise.org.
0: Welcome back everyone to Prevention Perspective. Um, I am Tracy here in the studio with Shannon and Shannon and I are talking about a couple of the months that we're observing right now um, those being Hispanic and Latinx Heritage Month and Domestic Violence Awareness Month starting in October. Um, So Shannon, do you want to just really quickly I know that you have a connection to this. I know that you Um, this is a part of your identity. Do you want to explain a little bit about that first before we get into it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for myself, it's a little fun winding story as far as how I come to identify myself. Um, But the kind of quick and dirty of it all is that, um, hang on, can I say quick and dirty? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, now we're here. I just realized that might not be very great. Um, So the kind of short version is I identify as Chicana. So what that means is someone who was born in the U.S. and family has been born in the U.S. as well. And we observe Mexican culture and heritage. That is kind of a part of our community and our family and our language. Um, But never having lived in Mexico. Um, And a lot of my family, that's been... That's been where we've been for a really long time. I think uh, my brother Dominic was able to do some research as to our family tree, and he was able to get um, trace our matrilineal line back to New Mexico in the early 1700s. So we've been kind of in that area for for at least that amount of time. And if you think about Mexican-American War and on the border shift that had been going on, it flipped a lot between being partially in New Mexico, or and even up north, I think into I want to say Montana and Wyoming, and then has flipped since flipped back down. So it's been this really interesting ideology of where are we from? How do we define that um, by? Today's standards, which has been a little bit difficult. So, when Hispanic Cultural Month rolls around, I always get excited because I do really want to lean into
0: it and uh, kind of observe that part of my family's history. Definitely. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's such an interesting um, story and so cool that you can trace your lineage back that far. Um, I am kind of on an exploration of my own kind of heritage and um, family kind of history right now. And so I think it's really cool to hear that from, um, from other people. Um, so I'm curious, obviously like this is the prevention perspective, um, podcast and what we talk about is all prevention related. Um, but I'm curious to know what you think the importance in terms of cultural, um, reflection in prevention work, you've been doing prevention with us for a little bit of time now. And, I'm just curious to know how you think that cultural identity connects to violence prevention um, and how we can do that well and how we can do that better Um, and any thoughts you might have about that.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's interesting. As you were speaking, kind of the first thing that came to mind was this idea in In the Latinx culture or Hispanic culture of machismo, which I'm sure we've all heard of, even if you don't observe that Mexican culture in your own life. Um, but it's, it has a lot to do with that acting tough and being, being like in a leadership role. This is a lot for Latino men. Um, that have experienced that growing up with their own families and their own parents or uncles or have you. And it not only affects them, but it affects the women in the community as well and really anyone. So it's these falling into these gender roles that we've been told to have for all of our lives. And then once we kind of start to really dissect that and think about that, what are roles are, are they necessary for, um, for our progression as people or in our community, and how that might fit into the prevention side of things. So I think it would be along the lines of okay, if I'm here as a person, however I identify, how is much going to affect me? Am I going to need to fit into these gender roles? Am I going to need to be do what has been told of me for all these years? Um, and it's just kind of challenging that social norm that we've grown up with that is to say this idea of machismo is not bad or wrong um it's just something that we've all grown up with i'm sure you can talk to a lot of latinx families or communities or young people whoever that have just kind of had this ideology of machismo uh in their in their main like time growing up for example i do remember when we'd be young at home, my dad's working on, we were building a deck, right? And I really wanted to help. Um, And I would go run and I would steal all the nails so that I could be involved. They couldn't get any work done if I had the nails. So (laughs) then I was important to the project. Um, But eventually I always had to give the nails back. My brothers would go help the deck and I had to go inside and help my mom with the cooking and cleaning. And I was so young that I didn't want to cook or clean what young kid does. But I definitely wanted to be a part of of the building of things. And uh, and my dad simply said, no, it's this is for the men. This is what we do. And so it was just kind of confusing to myself growing up. And I think my brothers had that kind of same confusion. Yeah, they were outside building the deck. They looked like they were having fun. Um, but I remember them being up also on the roof and and saying I hate it, it's hot up mm-hmm. here. <laughs> I want to go inside with you. You're so lucky you get to be inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were both kind of challenging that a little bit. Um, and then it came into later as you know we're getting older. We're still floating into those gender norms, and maybe my brother um, cries for something or he's upset about something, and there's definitely this, don't cry kind of thing but Mm. as the female in my family I could cry (laughs) all I wanted that was normal Um, so it's these broader idea of these roles and these expectations of us um, that can be harmful to our community it can be a significant detriment as we're trying to find our place in the world and we're told to do one thing when we clearly want to do the other thing so there's definitely a balance between respecting and acknowledging acknowledging the culture, as well as kind of questioning it in such a way that how can we make ourselves better? Are these ideologies going to cause further harm Mm -hmm. um, if we're not
0: diligent about how we present them? Gotcha. Thank you for that. I think it's important to take into consideration, too, like those very, like, deeply ingrained cultural norms and practices when we're talking about prevention. Um, so we're not disrespecting a a culture community. Um, so we're not, um, doing harm to that community by saying, Oh, machismo is bad or not where you should be. Um, but we need to take that into account when we are doing our prevention work. So,
1: Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree, because that's definitely something that I've been thinking about a lot is these cultural norms and how I want to shift them for myself. And potentially, if I have children someday, I just think about my brother a ton who has um, two, two kiddos. So he has a two year old case, and Chloe was just born this summer. And it was exciting when, when they had their first child. I really wanted him to have a girl mm-hmm. <laughs> as if it were up to me. And I was just so almost devastated or disappointed that the first um born was male because in our family in the Montaño family that's it's all about that first born son <laughs> kind mm. of thing and then and then that kind of like plays into that machismo culture a little bit more where it's like oh my gosh and I I just thought here we go we're perpetuating this family ideology of machismo and the men are important and um i mean the women are also but it was definitely there was definitely like a expectation for the men to to be truly the best they could be so i was i was worried for our family um and my brother and his newborn son that this the cycle would keep going Mm. um I was very excited to start to notice how my brother was raising his son. Um, he was always so sweet about having him. You know, if Case was crying, he would just go up to him, like gently wipe the tears away from his cheek, and give him just affirming words and positivities, and and he let him cry. It was just really sweet to see that um, for the first time, and as well as when we would interact. Like if I were to show up um, at the house and we're hanging out and I would wave to case and, you know, it wasn't expected that I go up to him and give him a hug or that, you know, we have any kind of physical contact because he wasn't ready for that. But Mm -hmm. growing up, that was definitely something we had to do. We always had to go like give our aunties a kiss. Um, and that was normal. So, now, as it's kind of shifting around, there's definitely some ways that my brother is redefining machismo, how I as an aunt can redefine machismo um, for him as well by being a, a positive female role model in his life. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I can't wait until Chloe gets a little bit older. We can have some nice talks regarding our, our femininity mm-hmm. <laughs> and how we fit into machismo and, and we can absorb it too, right? We can have ownership in that ideology as well.
0: Well, thank you very much, Shannon, for all of that um, awesome information and and being able to be open and and vulnerable and talking about your family. Um, I really appreciate you hearing that perspective. Um, We're going to take a quick break and then come back uh, with Shannon talking some more about specifically how Hispanic and Latinx communities are impacted by domestic violence and and what we can do to hopefully prevent that. So stay tuned.
1: Are you looking for more information about violence prevention? Whether you're a domestic violence service provider, educator, or parent, you can find more resources on our website at wcaboise.org. You will find lessons, videos, conversation guides, shareable social media content, and more all in one place. Resources will be added regularly, so make sure to keep checking back for updates.
0: All right, we are back with Shannon uh, Montano in the studio um, talking about Latinx and Hispanic Heritage Month in connection with the upcoming domestic violence awareness month that we observe in October. Um, and so Shannon, I first just want to kind of start off this little segment with like how what do we know about how um, Hispanic and Latinx folks are experiencing domestic violence? What does that look like um, in comparison to like the larger population?
1: Right. so, There is this wonderful website that I've been gleaning um, for the past few weeks, just looking at all of this. So interesting. I would encourage you all to go to Esperanza United. Um, And they have tons of facts and resources in both Spanish language and English. And it's been a really kind of helpful tool. So what they had mentioned on their website is that one in three Latinas have experienced domestic violence in their lifetime which is, yeah, that's, pretty, that's a pretty startling statistic if you even just are walking down the street in some area and just count three people. Um, at least one of them has experienced domestic violence. And then 50% of these Latinas who experience abuse never report it. So there's a lot of kind of things that can go along with that as far as not reporting or having some kind of fear. Um, it is difficult. This is just common with any kind of domestic violence and in a partner relationship It is difficult to report. It's difficult to leave. There's a ton of factors. Mm. And I think communities of color, um, experience quite a few of those and even more, especially in kind of in that immigration, um, kind of sector of everything. So that's that plays a big role. That fear of deportation for a lot of immigrant um Latinos, Latinos, anyone, Latinx community is very is very powerful. Um, And it's also used as a control mechanism, right? So one of the partners uh in the relationship could use deportation or threat of deportation as a means of maintaining power or control in the relationship, which is that kind of very typical, um, definition of, of domestic violence or, um,
0: abuse, abuse. Thank yeah. you.
1: That definition of abuse is that maintaining that control and using immigration is definitely, definitely one of the ways, um, that brings up an interesting thought, kind of this theory called the immigrant paradox. So we're thinking about immigration and how it's affected in our Latinx community and how that then relates to domestic violence. So the immigration the immigrant paradox mentions that uh, rates of um, partner violence were lower for Mexican immigrants than for persons of Mexican descent born in the United States. So people who are coming from Mexico, let's, as in this example, have those lower rates of partner violence. And those people who are born in the States were noticing higher rates. That might have to do with assimilation, right? So people who are born in Mexico, migrate here they know their identity right they have that to really lean back on Mm. i am mexican i am from mexico my values are strong my traditions are strong whereas those who are born in the u.s there might be more of an idea to assimilate um, and not have that identity as strongly rooted so the what we see is that the violence then increases because it's a way of people to maintain a little bit of control mm. in their own, own lives so that might not be there. Um, maybe they don't have as strong an identity or their family might also be have, facing these challenges of what it's like to be an American, what it's like to be a Mexican and where do I fit in the whole things thing? The thing the whole, where do I fit in in all of this?
0: It's really interesting. I've never heard of that, um, theory before the immigrant paradox. And I'm, I mean, just again, thinking like the larger picture of things, when we think about how identity plays a factor in violence prevention, it does seem like there is a direct link between having a strong, positive cultural identity and experiencing less violence which is really interesting to me, especially when we're thinking about um, the different communities that we work with and things like um, there's just not something I've ever, I've ever thought about before. We are about at our time here. I just want to see if there's, is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with, um, just in Hispanic and Latinx Heritage Month. Um, and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We are going to have you on the next episode as well, talking with another awesome guest that we're really excited to have um, joining us. But um, is there anything else you wanted to just leave th- listeners with?
1: Yeah, thank you, Tracy. Um, I would say I think something to really walk away with all of this is knowing that one, domestic violence is an issue, not just in the Latinx commu- community, but really everywhere um you never know somebody's story right they could be there could be a lot going on beneath the surface of any person Mm. so just going out and treating humanity like humanity um and along the lines of that of the latinx culture i would say just kind of that reminder of um domestic violence in the latinx community is not traditional i think we see that a lot in media and you know Pop culture what what have you that kind of trope of the angry Mexican dad and the crying Mexican mom like that is not what we are, that is not who we are, right, so I think just really challenging the the culture and the media that that is painted um the Latinx community, so definitely realizing that we are not a monolith there's definitely everybody has some different
0: experiences. Um, and those are all to be respected. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for, for joining us in the studio today. And like I said, um, we're going to have Shannon on our next episode as a little kind of guest host, um, speaking with, um, another wonderful, wonderful, um, person in our community who, um, is going to be speaking more about, um Hispanic and Latinx heritage and their work with domestic abuse um and violence in the community so super excited for um kind of a continuation of that conversation next episode but thank you all so much for listening um oh I will also put the website that Shannon referenced um Esperanza United in the description of this podcast if you want to check it out for more information We're so grateful that you joined us today and hope we will see you back next time on Prevention Perspective. Hey, thank you, Tracy. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Prevention Perspective. Again, if you or someone you know has experienced domestic, dating, or sexual violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799 7233. Or you can call the WCA's 24-hour hotline at 208-343-7025. Don't forget to follow us on social media at WCA underscore Boise and WCA Youth Reps. If you have any suggestions for topics you would like us to cover or get more information about anything you heard on today's episode, contact us through the email provided in the description of the podcast.
1: I hope that it will help you to do a better job.